All right, welcome to the Big Golf Show. I'm your host, Nick Andreco. Along with your, uh, your host, Eric R. Bay. And we have a really special guest today, the 2012 uh, Horton Smith Award winner, Carl Alexander. Carl, good to have you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. We're excited to uh, talk with you because you know, you're big on education. You're big on getting the word out, sharing information, um, and, and you know, teaching young pros and, and, and veteran pros alike, but really getting the word out. And so... We really appreciate you doing this. and it runs along lines with exactly what we're doing yeah. here in this podcast. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's important to get the word out. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, Carl, do you want to give a, a little background about what, kind of where you came from and, and what you did? And Absolutely. You did? I mean, I, I'm fortunate. I pretty much grew up in the golf business. Uh, my father is a golf photographer. Yes. Uh, well, he's a photographer who got very interested in golf after he photographed Ben Hogan at the 59 Open. He's got um, the famous... Right, shot, so right? he's got some great shots, yeah. and uh, you'll see him throughout clubhouses with, yeah. throughout the country and the world. So I pretty much grew up around golf, and he moved to a place called the Westchester Country Club where there was a tour yeah. event every year. Yeah. And so, you know, golf was in my background, and it was very easy to find some idols in the golf world. Uh, from there, I tried to play and tried to play for a living for a while. Did and you? uh Yeah, played the mini tours down here in Orlando for quite oh, some time. Nice. and. Nice. And I uh, needed a place to play and practice, so I got involved over at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf. And right down that's, the street? Yeah, right down the street. And, yeah. you know, was fortunate enough to have met Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers, two of the great oh, yeah. teachers, and, yeah. and a guy named Dr. Ralph Mann, who did some of the early uh, biomechanics studies. So oh, Dr. Really? Mann was a, I forgot the year, I think it was the 1972 Olympics. He was a high hurdleist who uh, finished second in Munich. And oh, he took that. Uh, MIT research and he applied it to golf. So we filmed hundreds of tour players and he built a, mo- a biomechanical model that we started to work from, which was basically what are all the top players doing in common? All the similarities. Between in, yeah, everything. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so with that combined with Phil Rogers, who is known as one of the great short game players yeah, of all true. time, you know, I really got a good start in teaching. Oh, and, you know, the unique thing for me was when you work in a golf school, you have high volume. And you oh, yeah. have them for three days. Yeah. And it is a really, I would recommend it to anybody out there to get into a golf school situation where there's high volume. You really learn to teach when you have all, a whole wide range of types of players and really three days to teach everything from putting to the driver to on course. You kind of so put it all in. You in put it all in in three and days and then yeah. you get a new crop of people coming. So yeah. it's a great way to learn. And, you know, I just fell in love with teaching. It uh, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to play. I was teaching to make a living just to pay for my, my tournament entry fees. But uh, at the time, my, my wife, who's at the time was working for Upjohn Pharmaceuticals, and she was, selling, uh, she was selling Xanax and other drugs. And every night we'd have dinner, and I'd say, how was your day? And she'd say, terrible. I was in the hospital all day. The doctors didn't want to see oh, me. The man. nurses this. And I said, that's funny. I came home. I had five business cards from people all around the country that said, hey, if you're ever in my area, come look me up. And I thought, you know what? There's something to this. So I started getting more and more into teaching. Nice. Yeah, it was good. Wow. And so, so after uh, down here in Florida, you moved back up New York? I did. I started – I had uh, – we had a child. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just decided that it was time to go home and mm-hmm. be around family mm-hmm. and, and be around the kid – raise a child in New York where I had uh, family and I knew what to do. In Florida, <laughs> I didn't know how to surf. So there was no reason to stay down here. I didn't know what I could teach them other than golf. So we moved home. I started doing winters uh, here and summers in New York, and then okay. and okay. then finally got a head pro job and started Stayed staying up, up there, there full year round. 
Nice. Now, uh, did you say was your your father? He was a photographer. Still is. Eighty six. He's walking the show floor wow. right now. No way. I just left him and is, Chip back a little while ago. He, he's not a, uh, a. Is he a PGA professional as well? No. Okay. No. Okay. He's but a good he's golfer, always though. been in golf. Well, he started in fashion. He, oh, you know, okay. he was a photographer in World War II. Oh, wow. He uh, was in the South Pacific for the Navy. Flew B seventeen bombers and. Okay. Uh, you know, he was a naval, Navy reconnaissance photographer. So wow. when he got out, he opened a studio in Manhattan. And his first, he loved golf. He played at one of the oldest courses around called Van Cortlandt Park. So nice. he played a lot of golf. And then he started to do fashion shoots with people like Gary Player and uh, Arnold Palmer for clothing. Wow. And then, as I said, he kind of did a That's self neat. assignment at Wingfoot. And he went out to photograph uh, the tournament. And as the story goes, he showed up to the tournament, and in the 1950s, guys didn't really dress that well. You had people like Doug Sanders wearing lots of plaids in different colors, and he saw Ben Hogan, had read his book Power Golf, oh, but yeah, yeah. saw that he was wearing khakis, uh, black and white, and shooting in black and white. He knew that, that was he could take a good picture. So he took his oh, fashion yeah. world and said, I can't shoot the plaids. They look awful. No matter how good the photo looks, the guy's going to look terrible. So he gravitated towards Ben Hogan, and it turned out to be one of the great things in his life. That's funny. And for us, as my brother and I. My brother's a PGA professional. So, yeah, the two the of family us. Going? We're, we're he, was, uh, he was at Wingfoot. He was an assistant there, and then he went over to be the head professional at Brayburn, and now he's okay. at a place, Oak Hills Park in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. That's uh, so. Fashion's always been a big thing in golf, obviously. No and question I guess about it. Your father seen no a lot question about it, and it's coming full full is. circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so Carl, how do you make the transition from a playing from trying to play to like you said, you moved back for the family to then now the education and really putting an emphasis on on helping young pros and stuff like that. Well. Like, when you're playing, the danger is um, you need to know your golf swing, and that's all you need to know is how yeah. your golf swing works yeah. and what you need to do. And as you transition into a job teaching, what you have to learn is how everybody's swing works and not your own. And the mistake that a lot of guys make is they teach what they're working on, and they try to apply that to yeah. everybody. Yeah. And there is no doubt that if you look at our tour, if you look at the ladies' tour, there's no one way to do it. And so – you know, you have to start learning what are the cause and effect uh, relationships in other people's golf swings, not just your own. So um, I just got involved as a spectator, going to every educational program I could and uh, and learning what I could. And then as I was uh, brought up in the Metropolitan PGA Board, I started to get involved. And they, they put me into edu- first in public relations and marketing with my photography background oh, yeah, and yeah. then into education. And, you know, I think part of it was that um, having been out there playing and around my dad, I certainly know a lot of tour players. So I was able to make some calls and tap into guys that I had relationships with and say, look, I really need you to come to the Mets section and talk to people. And so it it started to work. And bringing, bringing in big names was a big draw. Yeah, I mean, are you traveling around now talking, or you keep that mostly in that section? Mostly in the Metropolitan section? section. I have done a few uh, different sections talks and i'll probably start to do more now mm-hmm. that i've been at my job for going on eight years and uh, i've got a really good staff dialed in so i might be able to take a little time but job first family first job second and then That's that good. would be third That's but nice. uh we've got a we do a lot of programs in the met section so i've been primarily focused there what, what are the things you're talking about i mean what, what are, what's the message you're trying to get across i mean what do, what, do you, what do you see the things that need the most improvement i guess today 
Well, it's interesting. I mean, teaching and playing are always one and two. Uh, when we do data surveys and we find out what our membership wants to hear about, it's always teaching and playing. So we'll, we will constantly have a really good lineup of some of the best-known people in the golf world to come in and help us with teaching and playing. But after that, with the way the golf business has gone, whether it be the Internet and the co- competition of selling on the Internet – or just the membership. We're, we're now doing a lot more about marketing. We're doing a lot about uh, you know social media. I had a seminar last week. We do winter programs, so I had a I had a whole seminar on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and websites. That's and I had three speakers come in and talk about you know how you, how to use social media to brand yourself and Beautiful. be careful with branding yourself. And you know if you're branding yourself, be careful what you put on Facebook. <laughs> and if you have a website. You know, here are some of the things you can do. Uh, and in addition to that, really just business, business skills, uh, business acumen, financial mm-hmm. advice, uh, accounting, things of that nature. That's something we talk yeah. about, the transparency. Oh, yeah. Being on social media. Yeah. yeah. What to share, what not to share. Part of the branding process. It's getting more and more difficult because yeah. people are uh, – people think that – it's okay to be on Facebook and say some things, but in, in many ways, uh, employers are looking at it. Oh, yeah. I certainly look at it when I'm hiring somebody. And uh, is, that, is that the first place you go when you get a new candidate? Do you look on the web? No, and try to find I, you know, or? generally I'll I'll call their former employers. Okay, and I'll call people that they know. And then if I have any suspicion at all of anything that might be uh, dangerous, then <laughs> I'll start looking there. Yeah. Right. But oh, generally, okay. I don't have to go that far. That's good. Yeah. That's I mean, good. I think that's it's changing, though. I mean, it's, you know, you have to be basically a good person now. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Like, like yeah. yeah. Right. So, so I think that, you know, the cream rise to the crop, I think, in this pla- in these platforms. Can't yeah. Get away with, can't get away with anything anymore. Well, Michael Breed <laughs> said it last night at the awards program. He said, you know, that he, how he goes about it is whatever he does, he thinks, how would this look if it were in the newspaper? Yeah. If this got in the paper, how would I yeah. look? How would my brand be affected? Sure. So, you know, that's a little harsh for a lot of young guys. If you're 21 to 28, yeah. you're not really thinking that way. And, yeah. you know, hopefully you don't do anything stupid that haunts you for the rest right. of your life. That, that lingers around. You yeah. know, yeah. or if you're lucky, somebody else does something even worse than you and they forget <laughs> about what you did. Covers it up. I.e., <laughs> you know, uh, Lance Armstrong and now you got Manti Tai Teo. He's taking all the press away. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's funny. You talked about, I've never heard of this, I've, I evidently have had my head in the sand, is the PGA Head Professional Handbook. Yes. Uh, Can you talk about that? What absolutely. Is, in the Mets section, we have, uh, we've got a really good mentor program of professionals that are just legendary professionals. They've been in the business a long time. They've mentored guys onto their own head professional jobs. And what we noticed is that um, Young assistants, like you said, cream rises to the top. The young assistants that were aggressive and really wanted to make it would contact people like John Kennedy, Gene Borak, Tom Neoporti, and ask for help. Mm -hmm. But the guys that really needed the help weren't asking because they didn't have it in them to call a legendary professional. So what we did is we put together a panel of top professionals in our section, and we condensed all of our best practices, and we put it into a 400-page document called the Head Professional Handbook. Wow. So if you wanted to work your way up to a head professional, and if you are a head professional that wants to understand what the best practices are of our legendary professionals, they can access the handbook online and wouldn't have wow. to call anyone and ask. They could just that's access nice. it. And this is for the Met section. This is for the Met section, right? It's a, that sounds like a great national. That's, that's, yeah, that sounds terrific. 
Wow. Yeah, we haven't yet done anything on the national. This is a uh, (laughs) member-only website, and, uh, you know, we haven't yet. Um, It might go there someday. Sounds like a nice resource. It really is. And that's, like, and you you were talking about this earlier, it seems like there are so many things a PGA professional that wants to be on top of his game needs to know. Like you were talking about just all the different things that you educate on. Business, marketing, branding, teaching, playing. Yep. All, there's a lot of things you got to be really good at, especially if you want to be really good in the business. No question about right. it. And, and so, part of the reason I, th- I don't think we've done it nationally is because the med section is a unique area hmm. uh, where teaching and playing are still two of the primary focuses for the membership hmm. to view their professional. Whereas in a lot of other areas of the country, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. Not as much as kind of playing. It right. doesn't matter. They if you're don't a super necessarily look for the professional to play golf with them. Right. They're not actually taking lessons from the head professional. Okay. So it's a little different. But yes, um, there is no doubt that in today's world, you need to have all the skills, um, or at least you need to be able to hire very well. And you need to be able to hire people to complement what you're not good at That's... or as good at. And uh, But it's still, it's. You know, like I said, things come full circle. You still have to be really nice. You have to be really nice to everybody, the men, the women, the seniors, the juniors. You have to start with that, and then you have to have the skills to, you know, today's world, it's a lot more about management. And the thing that I've noticed is when I first came in the business, you were an assistant, and you were expected to do whatever your boss said. It might have been a 70-, 80-hour work week, and you didn't get paid very much. Those days are gone. Your young assistants, mm-hmm. they demand higher pay. They demand more oh, yeah. mentoring. They demand a fair treatment. Whereas, you know, when I came up, the pro yeah. looked at you like, hey, I've got you for the summer. Do exactly what I say and get out of here. <laughs> you know, it was almost like being a caddy. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately. And nowadays, uh, you know, I don't know why, but and I think it's good in many ways. As I say, I want my assistants to challenge me. I want them to come in my sure. office and say, hey, I know you're well-respected, but I think I've got a better way of doing something. And then having to listen to them, whereas earlier you'd never say that to anybody. <laughs> that's that's the good. Truth. That's a, that's oh yeah, a, that's a really good observation. Are you are you giving a lot of uh, responsibility to to your assistants, the people that are coming up? Absolutely, you have to delegate. Them, I mean, yeah, um, let them have the power to make decisions and things like that. No question about it. But I would say that um, interestingly, the 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 job market is changing. Obviously, we know there's some contraction in the world of golf. Mm-hmm. Sure. But in addition to that, head professionals are staying at their jobs for longer, which means assistants are usually assistants now for maybe a lot longer than mm. they had been. There are fewer opportunities. Point. So, you know, if you've got an assistant there, there's very few people that want to just stay in their same job for 10 years and keep doing the same thing. So you've got to give them more responsibility, yeah. delegate more things yeah. to them. and. Part of it is so that in the eyes of the membership, they're respected more because right. they're going to be with you for 10 years in some right. cases, which is great. That's really good. That's, and that's so true about people staying in their jobs longer, especially the shaky economy. You know, people don't want to They don't want to make the jump job. and yeah. take a risk, right? Exactly. And uh, if that's... you have a good job, you're going to hold on to it. Yeah. And I think it's good for the membership as well because you have continuity. That's when I first true. came up, yeah. there were a lot of guys that did three and out. You worked for somebody for three years at max, and then you really? had to leave. Wow. It was a three-and-out pro. A... You had to move on. Wow. You either moved on to another assistant position or you may have, been, may have been fortunate to get your own job. You're seeing less and less of that. Yeah. You're seeing, guys, there's no way you're going to have a really top assistant and tell him he has to go in three years. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, so, I mean, is that something you're encouraging? I, I know that, you know, I mean, obviously you're, you're some of the elite, you know, part of the elite group in the PGA, but, I mean, is that something that you want 
other PGA professionals, especially head professionals and director of golf, to really embrace that mentoring role? No I question mean, about it. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a huge push in growing the game. And I think the only way you can grow the game is if you grow the professionals in the game. And they have to have the skills needed to be able to do the job that makes people want to come play the game. And, um, you know, it's a challenge because every club's different. And, you know, I was fortunate. I worked at uh, a resort course. I worked at a private course, and I worked at a semi-private course. So you start to see what golf's all about. If you stay at a private course only, yeah. that's your only view. And then maybe you bubble. go to interview for a job, but you've never worked at their type of club, and it's hard to convince them that you have the skills to work at a different place. Right. That's true, and it kind of it's a great lead-in, unscripted lead-in, to a, a great <laughs> quote you said. I want to read it. This is on. This is from the your I guess your spread here in the PJ magazine mm-hmm. in December. It says, PJ professionals are no different than any other professional. They need to continually learn new skills and learn to adapt to the changing world that affects their business. By attending PJ educational programs, our members are exposed to those who have had success in every aspect of their business. Those who take the time and make the effort will rise to the top of our profession. And we've pretty much been talking about oh, that. Oh, man. That's a great, yeah. That's yeah. A great I like, quote. You know, saying that, yeah, it's no different than any other profession. No question yeah, about it. And, yeah. and, you know, doctors, um, you can learn a lot as a golf professional by visiting the doctor and seeing the type of treatment you get. You know, you go in and he's got diplomas mm-hmm. on the wall. You, you know, you have a time. I always go in and they make you wait. And I say, well, there's a lot of stuff I wouldn't want to do here when somebody comes to see me for a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's seeing four people at the same time. Mm-hmm. But they go through constant uh, training and accreditation. Yeah. And if you're a pilot, you have to continue to keep your license yeah. up. So we have mandatory uh, educational points that you must get. So we feel like the the business world is changing and the world of golf is changing, so we've got to make sure our members are constantly being educated on the areas they need. I was uh, fortunate. I developed a relationship with a gentleman named Stuart Levine who worked with Dale Carnegie, and so we brought him in to teach the entire membership about how to be a successful business person, not just in golf. And it was simple things like if you get an email, you must return that email in 24 hours. You don't have to do it right away, but there should be a 24-hour limit on when you respond. Um, If somebody orders a club, that's great that they've given you your business, but you need to do several things. You need to send them an email and say, your club will be here on the 5th, and let them know. And don't have them call the shop, as was his experience. Call the shop and say, hey, is my club in? Get somebody that doesn't know because they weren't the one that ordered it. And, you know, it's all about what I've learned in the business world is, you know, first of all, uh, being friendly and smiling to the members is no longer enough. (laughs) You have to make things easy. When they come in, it has to be an easy, seamless process for them to go through whatever it is they're doing, whether it be buying something in the shop, taking a lesson, or going to play golf. Mm. It's got to be easy. That's funny. We were just talking to Chris Hart of V1 about the convenience that technology is bringing. Right. And that's funny you say that, making things easy for them. That's what people want now. They expect it. Absolutely. They have everything right at their fingertips on their mobile phone, you yep. know, information that would never have been accessible before. V1's a perfect example. I used to uh, give a lesson, print, it on, print some things on a piece of paper, and handwrite the notes from the lesson. Then it went to, okay, well, let me burn it on a DVD so you can access yeah, it anytime. Right. And now it's going to, well, let me just email it to you, and you can access it anytime, anywhere. You want. Yeah. Right. Right on your phone. So you're right. It's about being easy. Yeah. Well, I like, I, I like what you said about, you know, uh, you know the, the whole process of dealing with members. Like, you're basically, if, if you've taken a club order, you're 
emailing them, letting them know, hey, this is in, you, letting them know the status of it. That's all part of the transaction. It's not just give me your money and or, you know, right. It's it's the whole service end of that, and I think that's something that it seems really simple. It seems like you know, yeah, duh, you should be doing this. <laughs> but I know a lot of people don't put the emphasis that I, you know, the more we talk to a lot of the award winners, the more we talk to a lot of people that are doing a lot of good things, they all say the same thing, and it seems like it's the details. It is. It's yeah. like the small things that, that really separate you from, I guess, the, the, the pack of people just doing average. average no stuff. question about it. And, you know, in, our, in New York, in our area, our clientele is going to the highest end service places. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, and back to the delegation. The, the other thing that I found that came out of it is, you know, if somebody took an order, they owned it. And so they were the one that sent the email. And they said, if you like have that. any questions, contact me. Now, we put that in a book so any any person on the staff would be able to access it, but we made that person the contact for the member. So the member knew to email the person directly and say, hey, is my club in? Or can you put it in my locker or put it in my bag? Whatever the instructions were, they had a contact person that rather makes, than just the golf shop. That makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. And it's simple. And then, control of it. and then the assistant yeah. has ownership of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I mean, and, and back to the rewinding a little bit to the education side of it, do you recommend people reaching out outside of what the PGA offers? No question I mean, about it. Um, you know, if you just look at the teaching and coaching summit that we had this week on Monday and Tuesday, uh, certainly there were a lot of, um, there was a lot of great information there. And going back to what you said uh, and reading my quote there, the cream rises to the top if you put the effort in. So the guy said, hey, this is, you know, and I always find it funny. I caution young assistants. We have people like Sean Foley come in or mm. uh, Andy Plummer and Mike Bennett from Stack and Tilt, and, and they would come in and do a three- to four-hour seminar, and assistants would leave and say, that's great. I can't wait to start teaching that way. And I'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. The guy started his program by saying, it's taken me 20 years of work and research to develop this. In four hours, you can't possibly know. So the point is you have to – uh, you have to go get the books. You have to read it. You have to follow up with them. You have to find somebody in your area that's done the work. Mm-hmm. And it does take effort after. The, the educational programs are just to stimulate your motivation and say, you know what, I'm interested in that. I think I can do better learning, and now I'm going to go learn. Um, the you know We had Bobby Bowden there at our teaching and coaching summit because he's a successful coach. Mm-hmm. doesn't know anything about coaching golf. He's an avid golfer, but he knows about coaching. So we had him there. And you know, one of the things that he talked about was he got his information from the military. Mm-hmm. He read military books on how to be organized and how to create a plan of attack, which he then applied to football. Well, it's no different. If you if you read the seven have seven habits of highly successful business oh, yeah. people, yeah. you can become a really good golf professional. <laughs> so you have yeah. to look outside of the box of what the golf world is. Otherwise, you're yeah. just doing what everybody else does. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, I like that. I like that. What you said is basically, yeah, education. You go to seminars, things like that. You, you learn about it a little bit. doesn't mean you're an expert in it. Right. You still need to go do the research on your own. Get Absolutely. that real-world experience, not just listen to an hour talk and that's it. Right. Yeah. I, I love the hustle. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you know, it's busting your yeah. butt to, you know, and that's kind of the idea. That's why we, and that's why we do what we do, Eric. Yeah. I and mean, that's, what, that's what the whole idea behind a lot of these podcasts that we're doing are is that hopefully it motivates people to mm-hmm. go out there and you know it's not yeah. you know we talk about twitter a lot and facebook a lot but you know it's, there's no handbook this is how you do it you know yeah. you need to find out what works for your business understand the platforms understand what's going on in today's world and apply it to yeah apply and, it and unfortunately 
not everybody's going to pay attention. I, when yeah. I first started as education chairman, I thought I could help everybody. <laughs> I really did. And then it took a couple of years to realize there are just people that are going to show up because they need the points. Yeah, and and that is it. And they're going to complain about the speaker and they're going to say the material wasn't for them and they're never going to do anything about it. And you know what? I realize there's not much I can do about that yeah. person. Yeah. If they're not motivated to, to learn, right. they want to learn. I can't help them. Yeah, sure. What, what kind of advice do you have <clears throat> you know, for, for head professionals or director of golfs out there that have those assistants like that, that are not? I mean, how do you spark someone to want to do that? Or is that just something you're born with it? I mean, what do you you have a feeling on that or you have a belief um, in that? I've had some success turning some people around, but um, as, as I've heard, you know, talent is not enough. If enough, nobody's got enough skill to overcome being lazy, period. If you're lazy, you cannot be that good at anything. So uh, as a head professional, you have, to, you have to push somebody. You have to challenge them. There has to be a risk and a reward program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are different ways to do it, but hopefully you can tap into something that they like. Um, maybe it's something they don't even know they like. But you have to find out. So, for instance, I had an assistant that worked on my outside staff, and he was okay. I mean, he he did his job, and when his job was done, he left. And, you know, he um, he was okay. And then one day in conversation, I had gotten a new, I think it was an iPhone, and I was having trouble setting it up. And in conversation, he said, oh, I can help you. And it turned out this guy was a computer genius. And he was just working on the outside staff with no access to computers. So I immediately learned how quickly he set it up, brought him inside, got him around computers, and turned around his experience at the club. He then got into something that he enjoyed doing, and it helped us immensely because the people that were really good at customer service and really good at hitting golf balls and playing and teaching had n- no experience of working the new software and this guy loved it so but he didn't come to me and say oh by the way i'm really good at computers in the interview sure in cuz he was in, interviewing for the outside job so you got to find you got to know your customer you got to know your employees that's, i like that i like that story. kind of yeah. finding their uh, finding their strengths and then yeah you know, kind of tailoring their job almost a little bit around right. that. Absolutely. Building it around that. I think that's real, real good advice for somebody for, struggling with, you know. And sometimes they don't even know what it is. Yeah, you yeah. Just got, you have to find it. Uh, um, I know we've, we, we've been dying to talk a little bit about Golf 2.0. Mm. Are you involved with that, Carl? I'm just bit? getting involved Are now. You? I'm just, just now that I'm on the National Educational Program, I'm just getting more and more involved into it. And uh, certainly the PGA of America is putting a lot of effort and a lot of uh, resources behind it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, now is the time because we do need to, we need to retain the golfers that play golf and we need to bring in new golfers for sure. Well, <clears throat> I feel like a lot of the conversations that we've had people, um, and this goes right back to the hustle and the effort is that I, we've heard, we've heard a lot of good things about it. And we've heard a lot of bad things about it. And, um, I think that the, the bad that we've heard is that the people just don't want to do the work. Right. You know, I mean, the PGA is doing their job to try to get the information out there. It's just, you know, whether they agree with the information or not, I guess, is, is their decision. But it's hey, the, you know, the PGA is not going to do the work for you. You know, you need to go out there and you need to make these things happen. And, you know, we're going to help you as much as we can. And I don't know if you – I mean, I know we already touched on the effort. Well, it's a workbook. It, but, I mean, look, yeah. the, in my opinion, the PGA has done the work. They have given you the resources to mm. open it up turnkey style and say, okay, I need to develop golfers. I need to 
put into some programs that show value to my club, mm-hmm. show value to the community, and bring in revenue. Um, and they've made it easy. All you have to do is follow the system that they've put in place. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just follow the system. It's a proven system. Of course, like any program, it doesn't apply to everybody. If you're at a right. course where your your lesson book's full and your T-sheet's fine and your owner or the owner of the club is not hounding you about bringing in new people, then it's nothing you want to put any extra yeah. effort into. Sure. But if you're at a facility, we're certainly seeing more and more facilities where revenue is an issue, okay. membership's an issue, new golfers is an issue. So um, I, I think what happens to guys is, unfortunately, the the guys that don't do it may not need it right now today, mm. but what they don't realize is in three, four years, they yeah, may need, need it, and now they're being passed by. Yeah. And now they don't have the skills, and they may try to backtrack, but it's too late because there are other guys out there that have done the program, have figured out how to do it. They know the marketing side of it, and they will pass them by. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like anything in school. Sometimes you take classes and you say, uh, "What do I? What am I doing here? I never. Yeah. I'm never going to need yeah. this." <laughs> but then the reality is, someday down the road, you realize, "Boy, it was a good thing I took that class." Like That's what that. I said about English class, right? <laughs> <laughs> and now we do articles, but right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. So golf 2.0. So uh, one controversial thing, their goal. I don't know if it's controversial. I may be making that up. Sure. Their goal of was it 2020? Mm-hmm. The, the goal uh, of the, the uh, golfers they want to reach, new right. golfers. How realistic do you think that is? That's what we or, hear. We hear a lot I of say, people. We hear a lot. That's what we hear yeah. a lot of people saying. Hey, trying to grow those numbers, but I, I still think it falls back to something that you said about. You know, it doesn't apply to everybody, and you know, yeah, yeah, they do lay out some yeah, stuff sure. for you, but you know, they're not going to actually come into your facility and do it for you. Right, you, ha- you have to go out and get those numbers. Yeah, but absolutely. I know that you know they have some really high goals for that. I mean, do you think that those are are pretty attainable? No, I, I personally would be amazed if we could reach those numbers by twenty twenty. Mean, it'd be great. It'd be fantastic. Um, it would be fantastic. I, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of folks, and I could be one of them that say, well, "What's wrong with golf the way it is right now?" We have yeah. a, we've got yeah. a lot of golfers, and the the problem is that we've built a lot of golf courses, yes. and now we need to have people on those golf exactly. courses. And you have people and companies that have invested a lot of money into it. But look, in any industry, you sometimes the resources weren't applied well enough, and and right. they get hurt. Right. And that may happen here, which is the contraction we've had. But it's an ambitious number, and again, there's nothing wrong with setting the bar really Absolutely. high. There's, yeah. And if we miss it. And we get close, we'll have done fine. Still done really you know, good. So that's yeah, true. The absolutely. fact is, if we don't hit it, it doesn't mean it was a failure. Yeah, right. We set the bar really high. We grew the game. We've got new golfers. We've ensured the legitimacy of the game for the future. Um, but we didn't hit the number. But I don't think that necessarily makes it a failure. That. Yeah, that's um, great. It is an ambitious number, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it, comes to, when it comes to the young guys getting into the game, do you think that uh, when we were talking with, you know, we're both Methodist alum, and, you know, we were talking to Jerry Hogg, uh, the director of that program, and he was talking about how their numbers have been down across the board, all PGM universities. And, I mean, do you see that, is golf attracting the same type of people that we were 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Is that? No, unfortunately, I don't believe we are. I, I think that um, certainly when I came up through the business and uh, a lot of my colleagues and friends, um, you know, you played with your dad. And you played with your family, mm. and you got a you got an early bug for the game and a love for the game, and you were able to 
get into the business and enjoy the off time. I, I see more and more young assistants that work for me that um, they come in and they put in their 40 to 50 hours and then they go home. And to me, that's, that's the mistake. Um, to look at it as a, as a job and a business from the very beginning mm-hmm. is tough because the reward is you can go out and play golf with members. You can go out and play with sure. your fellow staff. And, yes, you, you work for eight hours during the day, but now I've got all this extra daylight and you're going to go play golf. That should be – that was what it used to be, and I'm seeing less and less of that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here, and you know, it's going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think if my attitude is, we have a unique opportunity right now because of the press with the concussions in football and hockey and lacrosse. And I would, you know, if it were me and I were running the thing, <laughs> I would immediately go to every high school and I'd say two things: one, every kid that sits on the bench of a team, let's get him playing golf. Because he's not having any fun. He's on the football team sitting on the bench. He's on the hockey team sitting on the bench, especially hockey. They're watching. They're sitting there watching. Let's get him into golf and let's get him playing because nobody wants to sit on the bench. No. (laughs) And then secondly, you're going to have a lot of parents that say, I don't want my kid to play hockey. I don't want my kid to play football. The concussions are dangerous. It's not worth it. He's not going to the NFL. Why ruin his chances of having a a conversation in 25 years? So let's move him into a different sport. (laughs) And I think golf should be capitalizing on the struggles that football and other sports with concussion dangers are going to have. You know, that that reminds me. Remember, I think it was like a year ago probably in the Carolina section – um, we talked about, uh, I think, I don't know if it was a meeting or whatever. We were talking about, um, getting the professional involved more in high schools. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is definitely. That, how was that up in the Mets? I mean, basically the conversation went, Hey, we're trying to get these numbers. We're trying to encourage kids to, um, to pick up the game of golf. Let's go to the high schools. Like, right. Most high schools your, don't your, even Your local PJ professional should be getting involved with the high school. Is, how is that up in the mess section? Do you guys do that? Well, we do have a do golf that? and schools program where oh, we yeah. do go. Yeah. We have uh, we have equipment, and we do go into schools, and um, it's not a perfect system, but uh, it does pull some guys out. Where I think the, the real impact would be is in the caddy program. Mm. I mean, especially with the job market today, I would start with getting the, the professional going in and recruiting people to come work at the club and caddy at the club as a job opportunity, and then the introduction of golf after that. Because um, that, the problem with golf in schools is they don't necessarily have access. So I can go to the yeah. schools and I can teach them how to do basic things, but I can't have them come to my club and play golf. Yeah. So, yeah. They can swing you know, the club. They can swing the club really and actually... I can teach them how to hit, but where do they go from right. there? Right. Which is obviously why soccer and sports where you just need a ball in any open field yeah. works. And you're playing the game. Yeah, and you're yeah. playing the game, and you can do, throw two shirts down and make a goal. Yeah. You can't really do that with <laughs> golf. So, you know, the Golf in Schools program is a really good introduction to it, and you will get a very small percentage that, like I said, will choose to play golf over something else. The real hook there is that golf is a sport for a lifetime, mm-hmm. and it's going to be really good for your business someday. Oh, yeah. It's hard to convince an 8- to 15-year-old kid <laughs> that you want to start thinking about the ability to play with your boss in a scramble tournament oh, yeah. one day. I mean, he's not really thinking that yeah. way. Um, so it's a challenge. 
I know, I know so many people I've met, you know, through the past five, six years, just through regular business or my wife's business, things like that. And they're like, oh, you play golf? And they're like, oh, I wish I learned started earlier because right. I need it for my job now. No or, question oh, I'm about the only it. one in my office that can't play golf or something like that. And, and who fires That's, the scratch player? Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and right. you're always going to have that good conversation, too. Oh, remember last weekend, golf course, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, that's no, yeah, it's goes a long certainly way. a draw. It makes it one of the great games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl, what are you guys doing from a technology standpoint at um, at the golf club of purchase? Are you guys do you guys are you guys using you know any kind of apps? Are you using you guys embrace Twitter and Facebook? I mean, what are you guys doing just specifically there? And then what do you think as a whole? Well, I think community? that you know at the golf club of purchase, the technology that we're using is more on the teaching side of things. Okay. Uh, from okay. a communication standpoint, it is just email. Okay. Um, we're a, we're a high end private club. We don't even have a website at the club. Uh, we pride ourselves on not sending our members a lot of things. Um, you know, we're pretty basic. We're open seven days a week from sunup to sundown, and wow, it's pretty straightforward. We're there all the time. Come when you want, and you know, we don't have a lot of events, so there's not a whole lot of need to communicate to them about a lot of stuff. But from a teaching standpoint, we've got the you know the, all the technology from TrackMan to Sam Putt Lab, oh, cool. the ability to email lessons and things like that. Um, and from a section wide. We are doing programs where we do teach people about the uses of social media and marketing. And, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of the clubs are competing for the same members and they're competing for the same business, uh, whether it be outing business, whether it be lesson mm-hmm. business, whether it be just rounds or memberships. So the golf professional needs to get much more involved in that than they have been in the past. You know, they're now. In many cases, the membership director, the golf professional, yeah. you know, <laughs> might even be the starter. Things. They're doing a lot of things, yeah. and, and it does help if yeah. they've got some experience in that. Okay. You know, even doing – even as basic as – I did a photography seminar recently having some – you know, my dad put me to work when I was very young. So I've mm. got a lot of photography skills uh, just from osmosis. <laughs> so, you know, I, I did a seminar on scoreboards – uh, websites and photography. If you're going to do these things and do newsletters at your club, you need to be able to take a picture. Mm-hmm. And just basic stuff like don't shoot into the sun. Here's how you do a group photograph. You know, try and don't put a telephone pole behind the guy's head. It's you have to basically be the director. Yeah. You have to tell these people that you know work that you work for to say, hey, you know what? Go stand over here. You need to move closer. Act like you like each other. Smile. <laughs> Let me tuck in your shirt. I think that, that's a big part of being a good photographer is being the director. You have to be Put the director. Them place. You have oh, to yeah. tell them what to do because, oh, you know, know, otherwise they stand five inches apart and they barely smile <laughs> yeah, and they yeah, look terrible. What to do. Yeah. And you're supposed to be taking a picture that they want. <laughs> Man, I'd love to, if you guys did do a website, it would probably be pretty awesome because the photography yeah. would probably be pretty awesome. Because we're, no, we're we, big, I mean... We struggle with getting good photography from a lot of our courses that we build websites for. And, right. Um, it's nice when we do have good photography to work with. It makes the website really shine. Yeah. But, well, uh, no we question about that. Really it's great that you just you just plugged. Um, you just solidified it. Well, with today's we technology. That, yeah, you have to have great photography. You have to. Yeah. You have <laughs> yeah. to. And, and look, the other thing is, as a golf professional, I mean, look, um, if you're going to take pictures of your golf course, there are only two times to do it, early in the morning or late at night, yes. in the evening. That and really you're light. the only guy there. Early in the morning when the sun is perfect <laughs> mm-hmm. and late in the evening when it's setting and you've got these nice warm colors. The typical photographer you hire shows up at 11, <laughs> takes pictures till 2. Middle of the day. They look right. terrible and he leaves and he charges you. So <laughs> if the golf professional, you know, for in the seminar I did, I, you know, I had examples from B&H Photo. My oh, suggestion man. is you buy a brand new camera. 
and you buy used lenses because the lens is really the heart and soul of what yeah. the picture is going to be. And you can buy used lenses. You really just need a good piece of glass. The camera technology, you want to buy the new, but you can buy a used lens and get in for anywhere from 800 to 1500 You can get a really good setup. And the value you'll bring to your club by being able to take oh, pictures is is unbelievable. I'm out there all the time, obviously, and uh, with a camera. I have it in my bag all the time, and uh, I'm taking pictures of parents with their kids. I'm taking pictures of husbands and wives. I just roam around the golf course, and if I see a father and a daughter, I say, hey, stand in there, and I take a nice picture of them. And, and you know what? It, I take pride in the fact that I may go to their house for Christmas party, and I see the photo up in their house, and I know they love it. That's nice. So that's just a different added value. Oh, that's that's something easy that, that yeah, so many very pros easy. can do. That, right. I love that's awesome. How how are you usually delivering? Are you usually printing out something nice for I them? I usually I have a nice it or? I have a nice color printer and oh, um, five out of ten times they say can you email that to me and then they have something done that's, by Shutterfly or that's so you know, easy. Photo Shelter or somebody. Man, golf pros are riding around the course anyway. Right. You're riding Why around not add that you're value. seeing people and you know I love you're, that. Man. Yeah, it helps. That's that's a really good tip. We need to book Carl for a, we photo- a small short photography podcast. We do make a mental note. We do of that. Well, photography. <laughs> My father's yeah. here. You need him too. Yeah. Well, we we should. We'll, we'll maybe we'll grab him. We can do it through Skype or something. And we yeah. Try yeah. It. And we That'd try be fun. To, that would be fun just to get you know the photography or something like that just to just to hear because I know that that's something that a lot of people we hear. I mean, we we preach it to every client we have, but we. It's something they struggle with. Yeah. They don't know. I mean, yeah. even having a good professional headshot of themselves for their right. whatever, for their Twitter page, LinkedIn, anything, you know, something good instead yeah. of like at the bar, right? You know, they have, <laughs> right? You see picture. terrible pictures. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, when you're, when we, you know, right. back to the, the um, education stuff with teaching, yeah, you know, I read in here that you, um, you worked a lot with Jim McLean, or he was a big mentor mm-hmm. of yours. From a teaching standpoint, what are what are some things that he kind of instilled in you, that may you still use today, or that you preach to everybody? No question about it, uh, Jim. You know, the first and foremost is Jim inspired me into the game of golf because his programs were fun. He was competitive. He got kids together. Um, he preached fitness early on. I mean, we did strengthening from a very young age. Um, Hitting the ball, you know, we used to, he bought everybody hand squeezers for, that you would see, you know, the ones you kind of squeeze yeah, together. Yeah. And we had competitions where you had to hold a quarter between it. And 12 kids, 20 kids would stand in a circle, and the last quarter to drop won a Coke or an ice cream, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. That's pretty uh, he'd put a, He went to the dump, and he got a bunch of tires, and we'd sit there, and you'd have to hit a tire 10 yards. And when you weighed 65 pounds, hitting it 10 yards wasn't easy, so you might have to swing at it 75 times because it would move an inch. And the wow. first one to get to the finish line won an ice cream sundae, you know, stuff like that. That was the original impact bag. But, you know, what Jim taught me was that certainly there is no one way to do it. I mean, he is so good at really seeing the uniqueness of somebody's swing that makes it work not making everybody cookie cutter golf swing but understanding that okay the fundamentals have to be there like the grip stance and posture and alignment Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. some mental stuff Um, Mm -hmm. but the fact is if somebody's got a little hitch in their swing but they're hitting it great don't touch it he's good for a reason let him keep doing it Um, Mm -hmm. and then the other thing is when you teach we are certainly not looking for quick fixes but if you find one Go with it. You know, you don't, you're not rebuilding people's golf swings. We're at a club, and people want to play better on Saturday and Sunday. And that if day. I strike something and all of a sudden they start hitting it well, I'm done. 
I'm done. Let's go play. Let's have fun. And I don't need to talk anymore. Just keep doing that. That's great advice. I've seen that before to where you fix something in like five minutes. Yeah. But you feel like you need to fill in the next 50. Yeah. Right. You know, try to over-teach and keep going. You know, yeah, to that yeah. point, it's, it's interesting. And we do seminars where we have some of the top teachers. And it's, it happens all the time. The best teachers say the least amount. Mm. I'll bring in a like young that. assistant, somebody that's just learned three, four, five years of teaching, and they will talk the entire wow. lesson. They want to spew everything they know about the yes. game or the swing. The top guys, one or two things – and they're done. And then it's building the social relationship, asking questions about the family, asking what they like about the game, other things mm-hmm. that develop the relationship, which is you, which you can't do if you're spewing all information about golf yeah. and golf swing. Well, you're sitting there talking. Yeah, yeah you if you're just know. talking, then yeah. Wow, wow that, that's that's great advice. Super that's true. Good. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Um, but I wanted to touch on something you said there about um, if there's a little hitch in their in their swing or something like that, embrace that. And we were talking with Chris Hart in an earlier podcast about video is making everyone swing i said this actually video swing was uh making everyone swing look very similar and and chris attributed that to well we have more models to look at um do you is that a do you see that being a well first of all do you agree with that do you think more the swings are looking more and more alike and if so is that a good thing um i don't know if it's a good thing yet i think the jury is still out um i think we might be that theory might ruin some kids that could have been really, really good. Take a Jim Furyk. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's plenty of guys out there today. Bubba Watson. What would have happened if an instructor took Bubba Watson and said, "Wow, that's a little crazy. We got to change this." So we're not going to know who we missed. Um, the the fact is that people are just getting more instruction. Kids are getting instruction from a young age. I mean, it's no different than any other sport. You know, I played baseball all the way through Little League. I never had a baseball lesson. I just hit the ball. I ran. I caught. I threw. Maybe the coach told us a few things. Now kids go to frozen ropes four days a week. These <laughs> indoor facilities are going to learn getting lessons from kids that other guys have played in college. You know, when we started, people caddied. They were around the game, and they mm-hmm. played, and they got it done themselves. Uh, the fact of the matter is, and this is where TrackMan is really uh, doing a nice job to some degree, which is it's all about impact. If you can get to impact um, mm-hmm. and produce results in ball flight at impact, you can play this game. And in many ways, it doesn't really matter how you get to impact. If you can repeat it, you can make it work. Um, so that's the catch, True. and that's why, that's why you had – Guys like Vijay Singh grow up in Fiji and Norman growing up in Australia and different guys growing up in different parts of the world, they have different looking swings. But if you film them at impact, they all look pretty much the same Mm -hmm. because there's only one way to get the ball to do what you want consistently. When I say one way, I don't mean there's only one way to be at impact, but you kind of have to hit down on an iron. (laughs) The face pretty much has to be somewhat square. And there are certain principles that need to be applied at impact. Scooping the ball up in the air will not work on the PJ Tour. No one's made it it out there doing that yet. No, not yet. No, no, no. Our our client, Bobby Clampett would love what you just said though. Oh, he's great. Impact zone. Impact zone. Four inches. Yeah, Yeah. Pretty impressive. Well, Oh, I think we learned a lot today. Yeah, we, Carl, I mean, we really appreciate you coming in. That yeah. was uh, a lot of really good stuff. Really good um, knowledge there. Uh, 
Yeah, happy to be here. Was, you I guys are doing a great thing with this. I look forward to following it. Oh, we appreciate it. I hope you tweet that. Are you on Twitter? I just started. I mean, I kind of started hey. Twitter just to follow others. I didn't realize that I had to send tweets <laughs> out. I thought I could just That's okay. follow Tim Rosafort and follow different guys <laughs> in the golf world. You can do that. But all of that. a sudden, I got people following me, and I'm like, I'm trying to follow others. I didn't know I have to. <laughs> They're interested in what you have to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you so I have to figure slow. that out. I, I'm okay. going to start slow, right? I'll good. send out a tweet that says I was on this show. How about that? What's your handle? So uh, C. Alexander 62. Okay. 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 And, and when you mention us, you've got to mention, you gotta mention at the big golf You know show. what? You guys are going to do it while we're here. How about that? We'll do it together. You guys show me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll make sure you're on there. We'll tweet Thank something you. out. And, Perfect. And, yeah. So okay. like I said, thanks, Carl. And Happy yeah. to be here, guys. Good job. Eric, Thank you thanks for helping to grow the game. Yeah, no, you want to throw, throw us out? Yeah, we're, we're going to tell everybody how to get in touch with The Big Golf Show. You go to thebiggolfshow.com, find everything there, all our podcasts and recordings, uh, at The Big Golf Show on Twitter, and facebook.com forward slash The Big Golf Show. To see this interview and, and all of our other ones. And all of our other ones. Oh, and iTunes. Subscribe oh. uh, right through there on the podcast. You can go to see, iTunes, type click in, on your podcast icon, type mm-hmm. in The Big Golf Show. You'll see the logo and subscribe to us right there. Bada bang. All right. Perfect. Take care. Mm-hmm.